0: So this is the last episode of 2020, and I just want to lead off today by saying thank you. When I started this podcast nearly four years ago, I didn't know what I was doing or how long it would last. But here we sit, and listenership has grown, and the comments are largely positive, and I've met a ton of amazing people along the way. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making Two Riders Slinging Yang a part of your life. And here's to a vastly better 2021 My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang. The podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode stars Danny Davis, the longtime University of Texas beat writer for the Austin American Statesman. This is episode number 188, Let's Sling Sling and Yang. Dad, being quarantined sucks, and so does your podcast. Wow, Danny, thank you for joining me here. Okay, so here's what strikes me about you. You get out of the University of Montana in 2007, you're a Montana native. You get a job in Austin, the Statesman, and you were there for 13 years, which in modern journalism terms is like a tortoise living 250 years. That is an insane amount of time. How have you survived at one place for 13 years in modern journalism? Well, first off, you know, the Statesman
1: I think is a place that, you know, people don't leave. I mean, you you are correct. I've been here for, since 2007. Um, I came down as an intern that summer and was hired, I guess, full-time in August, but I'm still the youngest person in the sports staff. Um, wow. just because of, you know, how much everyone loves being here. I think we've hired two full-timers, um, who are a couple of months older than me during that stretch. And so, you know, there's not a lot of people coming in there's not a lot of people leaving. You know, this is an enjoyable, enjoyable place to, to live. And I've been blessed. Um, you know, I don't think we're we aren't immune to some of the problems that have been in the, in the newspaper industry, but luckily I've been able to keep, keep my job and keep uh, doing what I um, like to do. And obviously Austin is a great place to live. And, you know, my wife has a job here. She's a Texas girl. So I don't think she really wants to venture too far away away from Texas. So it just, everything's just kind of worked out. And I've been really fortunate enough to, you know, just keep doing what I do and, um, you know, keep writing. And uh, hopefully that stays Stays, stays the same, because as I said, I have a kid now, so I have bills to pay, and I'd, I'd like to keep this job.
0: Do you, When you work at a newspaper, do you still think of yourself as a quote-unquote newspaper writer? Like when I wrote for the Tennessean, it was, here's my newspaper in my hands. I can't wait to see my... Is that even a thought anywhere? I work for a print newspaper. It's tough, especially in 2020, um,
1: as is the case in a lot of newspapers. Like Our newspaper has um, very early deadlines, and so... Um, you know, if I go out and cover a game tonight, it's not going to be in tomorrow's newspaper. It's going to be in you know the day after. So that's a little tough to say you're a newspaper reporter when you know that what you're writing, uh, that game you're covering, you're writing it for online, and it'll eventually you know be in the newspaper tucked the side at some point. But you know there is that feeling of you know you know there's that print product, and we do serve subscribers who are you know just subscribing for that print product they're long time lovers of you know getting their news in that form so yeah i, I still um you know sit, think that i'm a newspaper reporter but i also know that i write for a website and i you know do multimedia stuff and you know need to have a presence with social media and stuff like that so it's not just a newspaper um, reporter but that is something i still that's what i grew up wanting to do and i'm still going to claim that i do that for as long as long as i can
0: I don't think I've ever asked anyone this. I'm interested because we probably have similar backgrounds where you grew up reading the paper and you love reading the paper. And I'm sure when you were young in your career, there's certainly this thrill about having a clipping in the newspaper. Do you still get the same buzz seeing an article on a screen with your byline on it that you got seeing an article on page whatever D3?
1: I don't know if you got the same buzz, but that could also just because I've been doing this for <laughs> long enough where, you know, it's not something new, but I mean, if I had an A1 story tomorrow, I think that'd be pretty exciting. That'd be something, you know, since uh, sports doesn't often end up on A1, I'd you know run down to the corner store or if I was in the newsroom on um, that day, make sure that I grabbed a, grabbed a copy. So, I mean, there's still excitement if, you know, there's a story that, I'm really proud of, or that I've worked really hard on, hard on that, you know, so oh, this is fine. This is the product. This is what it looks like. Um, I, you know, every morning I do check to see what the, my story looks like in print. Cause you know, sometimes it's not the same thing that ends up online because of mm. editing or, you know, needing to cut things for space. So I mean, I, that's something I do every day. So I do like looking at my, my product in, in print. So yeah, I mean, I still get it. I don't know if rush is the right word, but I do like seeing, you know, what, my words look like in, in a newspaper. And that's something, like I said, that's been going on since you know I was in high school. So um,
0: yeah, it's, it's still, it's still, it's still a cool thing to me. So you grew up in uh, you grew up in Billings, Montana. What was the moment? Did you have a moment or, or a few moments when you thought, yeah, journalism, I want to go I want to be a journalist. I want to be a sports writer.
1: I mean, my story is kind of the whole cheesy sports reporter uh, story. You know, you love sports, but you're never good enough to, you know, do it professionally and you learn that, you know, early on, but you still love sports, have a, you know, pretty decent knowledge of it. Um, Growing up, my parents, we used to have these things. I don't know if they're a national thing, but we used to have these things called the young authors conference where you, you know, these like five, six year olds would write these little books and they go to, you know, MSU Montana state billings was the college in town. So we go to their campus for a Saturday and we have our books read by, professionals or whatever you want and get like feedback and read other people's books and we get to like you know it'd be made into like they put in like binding and stuff like that and so we'd have like an actual book and so like I was doing that when I was you know five six I I still have a copy somewhere of the first one I did Um, what was the first one you did I forget what the exact title is but I do know it was about is about outer space and astronauts and um, I haven't read it in about 15 years, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure, I'm sure it's awful, but so, you know, I, I've always been a writer and then you, you get to high school and I was on my student newspaper in high school, um, since I was a freshman and really enjoyed that. And then that goes into college and you just keep doing it and doing it and realize it's something you're good at. And, um, yeah, like I guess I just never wanted to, uh, go do something that wasn't, uh, reporting on sports. So uh, there's just kind of just, uh, carried me through it but I've been writing for a while and uh, sports is something I've always loved and just uh, worked out for me and luckily along the way people keep hiring me to write.
0: How has covering sports impacted the way you view sports or impacted I mean are you still the same guy who probably in high school on a Sunday you know kicks back and watch the NFL do you still are you still passionate for teams are you passionate for players have you seen too much behind the curtain? Yeah I think um, you know as. Probably is the
1: case with a lot of people. I mean, it definitely kind of has impacted how much I enjoy sports. And that's, you know, necessarily may not be because I've seen behind the curtain or I've had a terrible experience with an athlete. Although every once in a while you're like, okay, that guy was really cool to me, or that guy was kind of a jerk. Um, but you know, especially with my job, I see so much that like sometimes if it's a Sunday, I don't want to watch football. I wanna, you know, kick back and now that I have a kid, hang out with him or you know, hang out with my wife or just, you know, do chores around the house. Um and so like I'm not as passionate. I'm not as knowledgeable about my teams. Like I grew up a Rockies fan. Um I root for the Cleveland Browns. But even you know, Cleveland's they're eight and three or nine and three right now. Like I haven't enjoyed um their season, you know, that much. But you know, if Cleveland goes on and wins the world Series or wins the Super Bowl the Browns or the Rockies ever win a World Series. Yeah, I'm gonna be a little you know clock cocky. I'll get I'll get into it if they're you know, in in the World Series or the Super Bowl, but like I'm not watching as I would have, you know, growing up. I'm not listening to the game every day on the radio. I'm not, you know, watching it. The Browns. When I first got here, my first year, I was part of a Browns fan group, and we'd meet every Sunday to watch the watch the Browns going. Like I don't do that anymore. I just don't have the time or the energy um, to do that, and that's just be- just because my job, forty to sixty hours a week, is you know, watching sports and sometimes you just kind of need to need to cut back. Cause I'm sure you, you know, or, you know, a lot of sports uh, journalists know sometimes just kind of, it, it's just too much. Um, and so that's unfortunate. But like I said, the Rockies are in the world world series in 2021. I will be uh, the loudest. I'll be right back driving that bandwagon and talking about how I've been here the entire time.
0: It's actually funny. I was curious. The 2007 Cleveland Browns actually gave you the false hope of progress. They were 10 and six. You got Derek Anderson looking like the young quarterback of the future Braylon Edwards was my guy I loved, I loved him yeah lot Braylon Edwards out of Michigan was going to be a great wide receiver like mm-hmm. Kellen Winslow and everything was going to be great for the Browns
1: and the Browns of Browns for the Brown Browns next the next decade as a as as they tend to do but Baker Baker's leading them which is fun for me since he's a local kid for me um and so we're we're, we're I, I have hope again I'm just not going to be watching every week.
0: Did you you cover a lot of Baker Mayfield in high
1: school? Yeah, Baker, um, his junior year when he got his um, first start on varsity was 2011, and I left the high school beat after the 2015 season. So I was there for his junior year and his senior year. So we got to see a lot of him in football, and he was a really good baseball player too. So we we, um, got to cover him a lot in in baseball.
0: Wait, so what was he like? I mean, obviously he later, at least from afar, came off as a pretty cocky – I would say some would say kind of insufferable guy, you know, blah, 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 blah. What was he like to cover as a, as a high school kid?
1: He was just as cocky and confident when he was a junior at Lake Travis high school as he, as he is, as he is today. Um, I've always, I've always enjoyed Baker. Um, I, I think he's a, his, his story is interesting. He's always had that chip on his shoulder, um, but you know, he was, he was fun to cover. He liked doing media, which sometimes, you don't know, you don't get out of high school athletes. Um, so he was always someone win or lose um we'll give you a quote and be willing to talk to you um you know he liked being the quarterback of one of our biggest high schools uh in our area and um yeah to seeing him kind of grow from what he was as a junior wondering why he was in the game in the first place to you know being you know that guy that everyone was like okay you know this is one of the better better players in the area to then you know seeing his rise through college and other pros has been kind of cool to watch but yeah he's uh i, I still kind of think he's a kid in my eyes which yeah you know he's married now and is mid mid 20s that's not the, not the case but um yeah it's just kind of fun just and that's probably you know that's one of the cool things about this job especially if you do preps is you know when one of your local kids makes it and you see them you know in the pros whether it's you know baseball or you know NFL or NBA
0: it, it's it is cool to kind of see what they were to you know what they are now does so it do you keep do you feel like you keep a connection with them and then If you need to write about Baker Mayfield in some way, does having covered him in high school, do you think that helps you at all as far as him being more agreeable or to to a guy like that, is it just distant past and I don't give a crap?
1: Um, I I think it depends. Um, I think if I needed, absolutely needed something, um, I could probably get a hold of um, his parents or maybe eventually get a hold of him. Um, and, you know, if it was a downtime, you know, they may, may agree to do something because, you know, we gave him, we've given him pretty favorable coverage through, through the years. Um, I I think it probably just depends on the athletes. Like I've heard stories of, you know, athletes, um, you know, going, you know, going and making it pro and forgetting their hometown and forgetting the you know, the people who used to cover them and not caring. And, you know, the, you hear stories of athletes who are great and will always, if they have time you know, give back and, you know, and answer a couple of questions. So I think it just depends on the athlete. Um, Baker, whenever he's in town for you know a camp or whatever, um, you know, he's always good to our newspaper when we want to want to cover him. I haven't done a Baker story since his senior year in o- Oklahoma at the Heisman um, Trophy ceremony. But, you know, once again, if he was in town and I gave him a call, I'm sure he would at least uh, pick up the phone. I don't know if he'd, you know, give me, you know an hour, two hours, or whatever, but I know he'd at least uh, be polite about it and you know chat, chat for a little bit.
0: So when I was a uh, when I was a high school athlete, um, getting in the newspaper in the local newspaper was the thrill of thrills. Like uh, somewhere behind me, I'm sure there's a binder with all my clippings from the Putnam Trader in Putnam County, New York. And I was just a runner, you know, but like you know, blah blah blah. And you'd save it, and you'd be excited, and you'd show it to everyone and do. Do athletes? Can you tell? Do they, does it still matter to them getting coverage? If you write a profile of someone on whatever the Texas women's basketball team or a high school kid, or what? Do they still care? Does it still matter to them? I think it probably matters more to
1: their family and their their parents. Um, I honestly don't think the athletes care that much. Um, I think they'd be more inclined to you know retweet you or something like that if you had like a tweet about them or put up like a short, a short video. I don't think um, articles um, matter as much to the athletes because that's not how they consume their media. Um, but also once again, if, if I wrote a, you know, a, a really big profile on an athlete, I'm sure they care because if I wrote, if I'm writing a big profile, that means they gave me their time and they'd probably want to know what I said. And if it's a good article, you know, they wouldn't mind sharing it to, you know, their people to, you know, so like those people can read about them, but I don't think um, if I'm covering a game uh, tonight and you know such and so and so scores 30 points and I write about that game story, I doubt that athlete's going to be reading it. Their parents will be, right. uh, fans of the team will be, but as far as the athlete, I don't. I don't think they care. They're much more more likely to care if I you know post if I tweeted something mm-hmm. funny about you know some play that they did or you know said something cool about them on you know, Instagram or something like that. But I think that's kind of across the board with, um, with, with all athletes across all ages at, at this point.
0: Wait, so are they less inclined to give you, let's say you want to sit down for 45 minutes with whatever, whatever app name, the app doesn't matter. Do you feel like they are less inclined to do it because they care less about the profile you're going to write about them?
1: Um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think they, if it was just them maybe, but I mean, you know, there's their school wants them to, right. uh, you know, do these interviews so they can get positive, positive coverage. And so, I mean, I think that helps with my job since I cover Texas, um, having, you know, the, um, their PR wing want, want their stories out there. So I don't know. Um, and sometimes you get this, these issues when uh athlete leaves and you're trying to like do like a pre draft story or something like that. And, you know, they don't have time for you, but you know, since I do cover these teams and I'm around, I think that helps. And um, you usually don't like to criticize athletes too much. So, you know, there's probably not a lot of bad blood between me and those athletes. So I think for the most part, if I, if I need the time, I'll get the time, but I don't know if, um, if when I put my request into the, the SIDs um, for an athlete and they tell the, the athlete, I don't think the athlete is circling that on there on their uh, Google calendar or something like that or overly excited about it. But I also don't think they hate doing it, but you know, it's not the first thing that they wake up and think when, when it's the day of the interview.
0: Um, your Twitter feed is a fascinating cornucopia of Texas <laughs> sports. It's just this and that and that and this. And that. I asked you, you know, which are you responsible for And you're a backup football, volleyball, women's basketball, baseball, and softball. Then you said we have stringers handling soccer track and field, but I'll take the lead of a big story needs to be written. To cover it, to be an umbrella reporter of a, univer, a huge university with a huge sports program, um, can you be an expert on the individual sports? Do you need to be an expert in the individual sports? Do you need to know the football roster, the volleyball roster, the women's basketball, blah blah? blah? Um, or is it more like poking in here, poking in there, coming, checking, checking, checking?
1: That's, that's probably the toughest part of my job, and that's the thing I struggle the most with is since I have so many sports to cover, um, you know, trying to be knowledgeable and trying to be that quote unquote expert because the volleyball coach and the volleyball players and the volleyball fans don't care that I cover the baseball team and the baseball coach and the baseball players and the baseball fans don't care that I cover the volleyball team. They expect me to be knowledgeable about their sport. And I think that's fair. Um, sometimes it is hard um there are you know things sometimes you know i'll be talking to the volleyball coach and he'll say something i'll be like well i need to you know go back and research that or you know try to get more knowledge about that because i don't know what he's talking about and um and that may be something that you know is pretty uh you know elementary to a to a volleyball player or you know baseball is a little different since i grew up playing the sport but um, you know, a softballer, you know, you swoop in into a soccer track and field story. So, yeah, that is that is hard. I try to do my best as far as knowing the players, um, knowing their stats, knowing, you know, what happens in games and stuff like that. But as far as like the inner workings of a sport and kind of the, you know, the nuances and stuff like that, sometimes I do struggle with that. And that is the tougher part of the job. And that's something I often struggle with and, you know, would like to get better with but it's hard it it is really hard to um be an expert in so many different it'd be it's hard to be an expert in just baseball It'd, it'd be hard to be an expert in just football and I had to try to be an expert in you know as you said like a half dozen sports plus you know something happens um in one of the other other sports on campus Texas has plenty of varsity sports and so that is tough but it's part of the job and you know you just gotta try to figure it out as you go and hope that uh if you don't know exactly um, what the N two middle blocker is on the volleyball team, that they'll be patient with you and explain it to you, and not a, not get too upset.
0: Are you are you one of these people who is very comfortable admitting you don't know what you're talking about?
1: Um, most of the time, I mean there there are some sometimes where you know e- ego gets in the way and you try to you know, try to fake it, but at the same time, you know, people aren't stupid. Um, especially you know if you're a coach or a player and this is your life or you are if you're a fan of one of these teams you're probably a hardcore fan and most of the time people can tell if you're faking it so there's no sense in you know trying to act like you're something you're not and sometimes you just gotta swallow your ego and you know ask for help or know that you need to go do some research when you when you get home you know sometimes if it's a press conference it's not best to raise your hand and be like, uh, can you, can you explain exactly what this is? That may be something to circle and try to circle back with later. But sometimes if it's a one-on-one or, um, you can pull an athlete to a side. It's not the worst thing in the world to ask for help or, you know, lean on an, another reporter who may be around, who, you know, doesn't have a bunch of sports to cover and just focusing on that. And, um, for the most part, the Texas press corps is pretty, um, pretty tight knit. I mean, they're competitive, but they're also, um, you know, willing to, to to help out a fellow reporter if needed.
0: So what does it mean to be um, on game day? What does it mean to be the backup football reporter? Like, what is you, you go to a game on a Saturday, like, what do you, what is, how does that unroll? How does that unfold?
1: Well, if I was going to games, uh, it's different than uh, in these COVID COVID times, but you know, if this is a normal game day um, chances, you know, Brian Davis is our, is our lead writer. So he is the game story. And we have columnists who, um, Kirk Balls and Cedric Golden, who handle the columns and the opinion pieces. So, like, my job is kind of filling in and everything else. Like, I have, you know, I'll write the notebook. Um, you know, the quarterback breaks his leg in the second quarter. Like, I'm going to be the one filing the the quick hitting blog. Um, I'm the one that's going to be probably trying to bring back a sidebar or something like that. So it's just, you know, we have our front facing people who kind of do the the big, you know, our big coverage out of games. And I'm just kind of, yeah, you know, fill filling in the pieces and that kind of goes throughout the week too. you know, just splitting stories and, um, just trying to make sure that we have everything that needs to be, um, in the newspaper for a, a team like Texas and how important that is to our coverage.
0: Do you, um, I've been reading a lot. Actually, I haven't been reading a lot. I've just been hearing about it. Cause I'm, I'm a human, um, a lot of talk, I guess, whether Tom Herman, the Texas football coach comes back or not and blah, 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 blah. And, um, I don't really get it. Like, I don't, this is going to sound weird. Okay. I attended a mid-major one double A football school at the university of Delaware. Um, nobody really talked about whether the coach is coming back. Nobody debated who should be starting at quarterback. Just not that many people cared. And I wonder when you're in the middle of it, um, do you get it? And, Do you feel bad for like you're Tom Herman? Like this is kind of your life, you know, like and you have a family and this is your reputation. And but do you develop emotions toward these people, or is there a distance you're able to keep journalists subject? And it's just it's just news to you. It's another chip in the news cycle.
1: Um, I don't really feel too bad for the coaches. I mean, they get compensated very well, especially at the University of Texas. I mean, Tom gets fired tomorrow. He's still, you know, he's gonna get another job and he's walking away with 15 million. He'll be, he'll be fine. Um, I do kind of, you know, feel bad sometimes for family members because, you know, it's one thing to say you're the head coach and, you know, you don't read social media and stuff like that. But, you know, they're, it's it's human to, for their family members to be reading this stuff online or poking around on Twitter and trying to defend um, their loved ones. I do, I do sometimes feel bad for, you know, loved ones as far as, you know, feeling bad. Um, but, yeah, I guess when you're kind of in the middle of it, Um, to go back to your original point, I don't really get it either. Um, There's a lot of times where I think, um, you know, people are really uh, quick to react and it's kind of silly that Tom Herman's fighting for his job and he's going to be seven and three this season. Um, But, you know, that's also why he gets paid, what he gets paid. And that's why, you know, I get, I have a job because, you know, there's that passion and there's that interest and there's, you know, those crazed fans who, Um, ride ride and die on what the Longhorns Longhorns do. And they're the ones that are upset that Texas hasn't won a Big 12 championship since uh, 2009 and haven't won a national title since 2005. So, you know, passion leads people to do crazy things. And while it may not be rational um, for people who aren't uh, bleeding burnt orange, I mean, I guess I understand what people um, sometimes are have a tough time grasping reality but um, I guess I don't get paid to uh, um, you know, make those decisions when it comes to Tom Herman's job security which is which is nice.
0: I am um, you're something I'm fascinated by and you're closer to it. Texas is just as good example as Alabama or Georgia any schools. Texas has a uh, seven million dollar football locker room costs seven million dollars to make. Each locker costs about nine, thousand dollars. Tom Herman, who was there when they built it, wanted each locker to literally glow. Um, The lockers are stainless steel instead of wood. Each locker has a 37-inch television on top. Um, uh, The Hook'em tray holds the player's helmet pads and gloves and slides out for easier access. The glove hooks even have the Longhorns uh, logo cut into them. Underneath the helmet and pads is a custom-made battle gear rack with a cooling fan at the top to help dry the helmets. And schools brag about this stuff. Like they brag about this stuff. Like, look what we have. And I find it horrifying. Like I'm actually horrified by all this stuff. I and there's something to me, this is my long little thing, and I either tell me I'm stupid or what I, these schools go into these oftentimes low-income areas where the schools are underfunded and they're dilapidated books. And there are a lot of inner city schools that just aren't, and they make these promises and they show these kids the glowing locker. And they bring them to Texas and they use them for three or four years of football or two years or whatever. And then goodbye. And there's something about the system from afar that grosses me out, just grosses me out. And I wonder as a guy who covers the sport and sees this, maybe I'm missing something or maybe I'm misunderstanding something, or maybe there's something I don't get. And I feel like, I don't even know what I feel like. I'm kind of fascinated by someone who covers the sports take.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe just I'm, I'm numb to it. Um, cause I mean, k- kind of to your point, I mean, yeah, those lockers, when you list them like that, it just sounds absurd, but those lockers are three years old now. I think they ca- Texas got them at the beginning of the 2018 season. So, you know, there's in that time, there's probably been a dozen 20 schools that have, you know, installed things that are cooler than what uh, Texas has. It's just college football is an arms race. It is what it is. Um, you know, Texas decides to go back and use locker rooms that um, you can find at a local high school. They're just going to get passed when it comes to recruiting from every other school who's upgrading their stuff. I mean, Texas still, for the most part, I mean, their facilities are not up to par with some of the um, you know powerhouses across the across the nation. They're trying to get up to par. They're doing a bunch of renovation projects, but that's just what college football is. And yeah, it does seem silly when you're talking about that money and talking about the money that the football coaches are making. And you're talking about, you know, some, you know, these athletes coming in and you know, trying to try and chase their dreams and some of them not being able to, but that's just kind of what college football is. And sometimes you just got to just ignore it and power through and um, try not to think too much about it. Cause it'll make you a little, a little sad or it'll make you uh, you know a, a little sick, but that just is, it is what it is, um, to you know, borrow another cliche. It's just kind of that's that's college football, and you know, it's no different at Texas as it is at Texas AM, as it is at Clemson, at Alabama, those West Coast schools. Um, you know, me and you, uh, you know, Delaware and Montana maybe is a little different there, but even Montana, you know, has uh, you know, silly expenses that they're in perks that their football players get, and that's just that's just what it is. It's what you need to be able to compete and get those athletes there because if you you know, bring an athlete that you're chasing into a, you know, torn down locker room um with the, uh, you know not that great of a dining hall and stuff like that. His next visit when he sees all the perks at that place, he's gonna go there instead. So it just it's it's weird, but that's college football. And I don't think it's gonna change. I think the train has already left the station. And it is miles away from this at this
0: point. Yeah. Uh you wrote a piece in 2018 that was really, really good. It was called uh, History One O One an oral history of Mark Payton's national record on base streak at Texas. And um, it was about a, about a former Texas player from uh, the early, uh, well, 2013, 2014, uh, Mark Payton, who got on base uh, 101 games in a row, 101 games in a row, which is absolutely insane. Um, And it was a really fascinating sort of deep dive into, uh, into sort of, This little sliver of history that nobody was really thinking about or talking about, and you found it. Um, And I wonder, like, what makes a guy think, you know what, I want to do a story on and I want to do an oral history? Mark Payton's 101 game uh, consecutive game streak. That's that's a subject. Like, how does that even happen?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I like oral histories. Um, I know some people hate them, um, and I can see the arguments against them, but I like, you know, being able to jot down people's recollections and let them um, sometimes guide the stories, and let it, instead of me um, always writing and having to guide um, where these stories go. But um, I knew I wanted to do an oral history. Um, Mark's record is one of those records that Texas brags uh, about because it's a national record as far as I mean, no, they don't know for sure, but no one's been able to prove them wrong, and so they claim it as a national a national record. And it's just one of those things where this one day, I was like, you know, I'm going to have some time over these next few months. Let's see if um, can throw some stuff out there and see if it sticks. And one interview led to the other and, and enough people wanted to talk about it. And it just kind of kind of worked out. But, you know, a lot of these times, you know, I'm a curious person. And that was just something that interested me. I did an oral history this past, uh, I guess, during this quarantine time. I don't even know what month it is because time all runs together at this point about um uh 25 inning baseball game that Texas played in in 2009, I believe it was, um, against Boston College. It's the longest uh, baseball game in uh, college baseball's history. And you know, this is one of the, another one of those things. It's like, well, this is kind of an oddity. I'm curious about it. I'm sure the people involved have a lot of things to say about it and will be willing to talk since a lot of them are kind of out of the game now and have, um, you know, fond memories and want to talk baseball. So, uh, it's kind of just a combination of things and people were willing to give me their time and talk. And I thought it was kind of a fun story. And it's probably one of the you know, favorite things I've been able to do since I got on the Texas beat. It was just fun. It was unique. And um, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was cool to share that history with the uh, people because I'm sure a lot of people um, may have remembered that on Bay streak, but
0: probably wasn't on top of their, on top of their mind. Has COVID made being a sports writer miserable? Um. <clears throat> It's made it
1: – I don't know if miserable is the right word. It's definitely made us adapt. Um, I personally think there's some positives um, of the COVID, the COVID times. But, yeah, it, it's, it stinks not being able to um, – we lost the baseball season. I love baseball. Um, so, you know, I haven't been to a ballpark in forever. We weren't even able allowed to go out and um, do fall baseball this year. Um, it's weird kind of going at – watching football games on TV – um, since they've limited access to the press box, I've been to two football games this year. That's weird. Um, and it's weird. These athletes, I can't remember the last time um, I talked to a Texas athlete face-to-face, um, not over a Zoom call. Um, that's that's strange. Um, so that's made it weird. But I don't want to say miserable. I mean, I'm still getting paid to write about sports. I still have a job. Um, I, I can't complain complain too much, but it is, it is, it is definitely different um, and not something I was expecting uh, in early March for, for my year to uh, that. I did not expect that's how my year was going to go. You
0: know, it's funny. My wife and I were just talking about this. Remember the beginning of COVID and it was like, look on Facebook, Garth Brooks is doing a special concert to help us get through. And like, Oh, look, that's so cool. Seinfeld is doing, blah, blah, blah. And then like, cause it felt like it was almost like it was going to be a month of really bad. Didn't it, you know, it was like, oh, this month we can get through it together. All the signs, like, together we can do this. And now it's just like, uh, it's like, uh, I need another cigarette. This is the worst thing ever. Blah. It just feels. Blah. I remember when it happened. I was like, in the
1: NCAA um, canceled the, you know, their basketball tournaments and then shut down their spring sports. I was like, man, you know, NCAA, they're kind of being trigger happy. There, it kind of seems like they're jump, jumping the gun. And no, that's, that does not seem to be how how it was. Uh, it is a lot longer than. We expected, but I'm sure that's a different podcast.
0: <laughs> Can you tell if people care as much about this Texas football season as they would a non-COVID season?
1: Hmm. Um, I, I think they, it's probably a little less just because, you know, you don't have a hundred thousand people able to go to a football game. Yeah, A lot of people are experiencing it in a different way, having to, watch it from home. Um, you know, I, I think Texas was supposed to go to Baton Rouge this year to play LSU. And so they lost that trip, which I think bummed out a lot of fans, bummed me out as a member of the media. Um, so in that aspect, since a lot of people are taking this season in differently, there's probably a little bit of a, um, people are dispatched a little bit, but you know, people had you know, high expectations for this Texas team and, you know, they thought they could maybe contend for a, you know, national title when, with what with college football being as weird as as it was gonna be. So I think the losses sting just as much. Um, you know, ten years from now, no one's gonna, you know, no Oklahoma fans gonna hear COVID as an excuse when they're bragging about the win that they had over Texas this year. And uh, so I mean the wins and losses still matter and I think people are just as happy or just as upset um when when, the, when those happen. But um as far as overall excitement, yeah, it's probably tempered a little bit, but um, people are still reading our stories and people are still, uh, you know, clamoring, uh, you know, on the message boards and all that stuff. So, I mean, the passion is still there. Just maybe just to be a little, a little bit of a different feeling, I guess.
0: Let me answer your final question. I'm required to ask every guest this. What's the most angriest subject's ever been at you? Oh boy.
1: Um, I don't, I, I don't mind telling the story. Um, Yeah, I had a, um, we had a, volleyball coach get really upset with us. The Texas volleyball coach get really upset with us um, for our coverage of one of his star players who had um, um, gotten a DUI and um, he was not pleased with how we covered it. And I mean, I understand why he was upset you know, he's being, he's being protective, but he was also out of line and not really understanding how, how journalism works. And so, you know, there was a really awkward um, um, confrontation in a press conference that you um, I'm sure he wishes never happened and I wish had never happened, but um Wait, did he chewed you out in the middle of the press conference? Yeah, he he came in with his athletes and um said something and I really had I was not responsible for that story. Um our cops and courts reporter was responsible for it, but I had tweeted it and he was upset that I had tweeted it. And so you like me and him just like were just yelling at each other in a press conference for like five minutes, while his athletes just like sat there awkwardly and there was um you know, another volleyball reporter in the student newspaper was there and um, this you know their sid was there and there's a tv station there too so i mean it was just really it was awkward for everyone involved and um, it took a little while to repair that relationship but i think everyone's on on good terms but it was it was awkward and like the next couple days you know the kids one of the, the student journalists that was there recorded it and played it back to his class and so like i got a call saying. Oh yeah. You know, we use this as a teaching moment in our class today. And I was like, Oh no, I, I really wish he didn't. That was not one of my finer moments, but, uh, I Do you guess, feel like uh, you
0: handled it wrongly as a journalist?
1: Um, yeah, I wish I would have. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it was pro- like, I don't think our newspaper did anything wrong. Um, and I don't think I was wrong in defending myself, but I don't think I needed to defend myself in front of his athletes or, um, people, my colleagues who are trying to do their jobs. Like I wish, um, I'd have been like, I'm not having that with you. If you want to talk about this afterwards, we can, but um, I'm just not going to sit here and yell at you for five minutes for um, something that doesn't involve the rest of the people in this room, because I don't need to be um, seen by your athletes as a confrontational person who's yelling at their coach. And once again, there's people in here who are trying to do do work and get their post game press conference in and done and get, get home with their family. So I wish I would have not um, engaged in, Asked the coach to step outside, which I'm sure he would have loved to, um, still give me a piece of his mind. But I, I didn't like the way that I had, um, engaged. But in the end, it was uh, um, I get I I don't need to feel bad for defending myself. I just wish I would have defended myself privately.
0: So, do you have a moment after when you sort of make amends with him? Like, is there a is there a call inevitably or something where it's like, look, blah 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 blah.
1: Um. You know, it took, it took a little while. Um, you know, we, I was taken off of coverage for a little bit um, by my bosses. We'd sent a stringer to the next couple of games and kind of let everyone um, cooler heads prevail. And, you know, eventually um, I think I traveled to one of their games and the coach pulled me aside afterwards and we had a little, little talk about it. And um, there had been some back channel um, discussions had with, you know, other people and stuff like that. So uh, eventually you just kind of, let bygones be bygones and let's go get a beer later and, you know, laugh about this at some point. But um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I called him that night and said, we need to you know, talk this out. We kind of needed to definitely la- kind of let, um, let let some time, time pass. And um, luckily my uh, employers backed me and allowed us to have that space. And we were able to, you know, those two years ago. So I obviously been able to cover his team just fine. Um, over the years, and we have a good relationship now. So,
0: that's an unexpectedly great story. I don't know, I don't know if it's,
1: it was great. It was it was a, it was a stressful time, but it, it worked out. I know, but it's if a you ha- happy ending, happy ending. I suppose
0: I just kind of feel like if you do this job long enough, we're all going to have those moments, you know. And like at the end of the day, to me, at the end of the day, it's all about the stories we acquire in our lives and accumulate in our lives. So, you know, embarrassing moment, good story. It's not a terrible payoff.
1: It worked, it worked out in the end. And um, like I said, I, I feel fortunate to cover, do this job. And so I've been really unfortunate if I hated going to volleyball matches or just hated having to cover someone. Like I know that's the case with you know some journalists and there's some people who just don't like the people they cover. And that just seems like that just be stressful that you'd have to do something or cover someone or something that you hate um, often. So I think it's better that everyone, we don't need to be best friends, but we need to at least be cordial because I I just, I don't have time to be miserable and so that would be uh that, that that would that would be that that would suck um for lack of a better word
0: i picture these poor volleyball players like the 19 year old volleyball player just being like i kind of just want to go back to my dorm room now they, they, just, they
1: just like sat there very awkwardly ahead and then after the, the the argument we had the press conference and so that was that was the weird thing too like after this argument we had to be like all right so here you know what about the match you know what, what happened there in the and the second set, and you know, normally in these press conferences, since I'm kind of the, um, I don't want to say authority, but like I'm the one who's there the most. Like I take the lead on a lot of these questions um, since I'm there the most, I'm from the bigger, bigger publication. And so it's just kind of like we had to turn that off and then also be like, oh, ah, so in that second set, what, what what happened there on that run is it, it was awkward. But uh, the the athletes, God bless them, they, uh, they, they pushed through and I'm sure they had plenty of stories to tell once they actually got back to the locker
0: room yeah teammates or they get back to their roommate you're not going to believe what happened today Mm -hmm. these two old guys right they started yelling at each other
1: it was very coach got in with that that that
0: reporter that's always here and it was it was it was very strange that's awesome that's good um listen i appreciate your time a whole lot um congrats again on the newbie it's very exciting try to get your sleep thanks for having me I want to thank today's guest, Danny Davis, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can follow Danny on Twitter, at AASDanny, and read his work in the Austin American Statesman. Music is by the Dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing, and Happy New Year.